0: So why we head over to somewhere that you've probably never been before, it's called the Show Notes. So whatever app you're listening in, if it's Spotify or Apple Podcasts or anything at all, head to the Show Notes, click on my special link, and then you can browse thousands of gigs ready to help you with your next project. And now, let's dive into today's episode. Let's go. Ever heard a joke and wondered, did that really happen? My name's Neil McKay, host of a Vietnam podcast and a comedian. Long before I ever started comedy, when I heard comedians tell the craziest, funniest stories, I would always wonder just this. And if I got the chance to meet them after the show, I would always ask them straight away, did that really happen? Nine times out of 10, the answer was yes. But the difference between sharing a funny story with friends and telling it on stage is a comedian's ability to take those moments and craft them into a well worked joke. In each episode of this podcast, we'll talk to comedians from around the world, play you one of their favourite jokes, then ask them Did that really happen? My guest today won an award for a Super Bowl commercial then abandoned his lucrative career in advertising. He's performed on national TV for the Winnipeg Comedy Club. Most recently, he worked on The Writer's Room for the hit Netflix show Kim's Convenience and has just done a string of successful shows here in Vietnam. My guest today is Joe Vu.
1: Let's hear his joke. (laughs) I recently found something that helps me out. I put up my downtown condo parking spot up on Craigslist. Yeah. And a girl responded, but she didn't want the parking spot, though. She wanted something else my building's known for. She's like, I don't know if this sounds weird, but my birthday's coming up. I was wondering if me and my friend can each pay you $50 if we could have access to your condo rooftop pool. <laughs> I was like, whoa, yeah, girls really like rooftop pools. I have access to rooftop pool. I should be using this more. <laughs> so I went on Tinder, changed all my profile pictures. <laughs> Swapped out all the pictures of my face, Replaced it with the rooftop pool. (laughs) Went on Facebook, changed my name to Joe Rooftop Pool Vu. (laughs) Anytime I talk to a girl, I make sure I mention the fact that I have access to rooftop pool. I'm like, hey, my name is Joe. I'm a stand-up comic. But what I'm really passionate about (laughs) (laughs) is swimming in my rooftop pool. Because I don't know, I have access to rooftop pool. And all my friends are like, but Joe, how are you going to know if a girl's actually into you or if she's just using you for your rooftop pool? And I was like, that's easy. I don't care.
0: So, Joe, did that really happen?
1: Yes, the rooftop pool thing happened. I put up the parking spot Craigslist ad and a girl responded. But, you know, I, I didn't say yes to her. I didn't I didn't invite them over because I just thought it might be too weird and I wasn't sure what the the laws were for my condo building. They're very tight with it. But yeah, but because of that and because I wrote the joke, I was like, I have to follow through with everything just to be truthful. So I did change my Tinder profile pics. I added pics of the pool and I, I took pictures of myself up on the rooftop pool, just like lying down with shorts, just... Sexy poses, like, you know, the George, Costanz- George Costanza poses? That's funny you mentioned it, because I saw that picture yesterday. Oh, you saw it? Yeah, okay. yeah, just one of them, yeah. <laughs> yeah, my, and my friends come, come over, and they've done the poses too, and I changed my Facebook name, yeah, and everyone in the scene would call me Rooftop. It, it became a thing.
0: I love it, I love it. I never imagined, I imagined the answer to this question would be yes, but not... Know it was all yes, (laughs) (laughs) not in that much detail,
1: yeah. That is amazing. I mean, that's pretty much it. Like, I I did that, I probably got some dates out of it. Actually, got dates out of it. I I don't know if they like (laughs) that. I mean, I got matched with people on Tinder, I don't know if that was specifically because of the rooftop pool, but it's it probably for like I feel like two and a half, three years, and then eventually. I was like, maybe I'm a grown up now. I should just be called my name instead of Joe Rooftop, <laughs> Pool Boo. How many people, especially
0: relatives, were messaging you? Be like, what? What? What's yeah, your
1: name? there were so yeah, there was a lot of confusion. I would have to say, like, oh, it's for a joke. Yeah, I'll I'll tell you about it later. That is amazing.
0: I mean, I'm not single, but maybe if I was, or anyone that's listening that is uh, single and has access to any pool. Yeah. then you've got to add that. I can't believe you posted pictures of you by your pool. <laughs> amazing. So, obviously, there's a running theme in this podcast that most of these stories that we share are, are true, Yeah. which is amazing. But the point of the podcast is to then, how do comedians like yourself then take these real stories and then craft them into a joke that's told on stage? Because it is something that's very different. I even met someone recently and I, I hope he does get into stand-up comedy. I can't even remember who it was, but He was like, oh, I want to get into comedy because, you know, I'm really funny. I make all my friends laugh. Yeah. But that's a big difference because not all comedians make their friends laugh. Like, I'm not really, like, the life of the party and I don't, like, sit there, like, holding court and telling stories and jokes. But I like to think I can do it on stage at least. Yeah. So how do you take, then, these real-life moments and then make them into something that you can tell on stage?
1: Well, that one was pretty easy. (laughs) I mean, it was just... Kind of like uh, I don't I don't really show off a lot, so that was it was a fun joke to be like a show, acting like a show off. And then you know when I write the joke and then I test it and then I I noticed the more times I say I have a rooftop pool, the funnier it got. Right, so you just try to think of as many ways that you could throw it in, you know, as you can, and saying the words rooftop pool. And-
0: <laughs> what? Why is that? Because one of my good friends, Tommy Pruchinsky. He had a joke, which was one of the lines similar to yours was, he's not my friend. And it was a whole line about, the, a whole joke about this guy that came over to his apartment to hang out. He was a bit weird and tried to hit on him. Yeah. And he just kept repeating it throughout the whole joke, like, he's not my friend. And I, if I'm remembering yeah. correctly, Tommy, and you can message me and correct me, I feel like that he did it the first time off the cuff at an open mic night and similar to you, then got so many laughs yeah that it became part of the joke and i just remember finding it so funny as well the repetition yeah and it's something i've noticed when i've been watching some comedians about doing that repetition of the same line which to me like intellectually seems like that shouldn't be
1: funny you're just saying the
0: same thing over again but it is absolutely
1: hilarious well if you think about it it's kind of like an immediate callback right so callback is you do a you you call back to a joke maybe four jokes later or eight jokes later or at the end of the set. But this one, since the first time you say it, it's funny, then you repeat it again like 15 seconds later, 10, five seconds later, and then and it gets funnier and funnier to the point where it's predictable and it's not funny anymore. But if you're a brave comic or a weird comic, which I'm not, they would push past the not funny and then eventually it would get to funny again. But I never, I never do it so. I never overkill it where it gets to not funny, and then five times more later it gets to funny. So that's, that's just not me. But you could do that too.
0: And I guess that makes sense. I often think about like sketch comedy where they use the same catchphrases over and over again. So my, yeah. my example of that is I know Ricky Gervais is against that in terms of his comedy. He's made jokes yeah. about it in his shows, like extras. And then you have, like, for example, the Catherine Tate show, I don't know if you know this, the British TV show, and you know, no. she's got catchphrases, like, I'm above. It. Any British fans will know this. And it's just, it's the same catchphrase. It's basically like the same skit every time, different yeah. setup that finishes with her saying the same line yeah. repeatedly. And it gets massive <laughs>, laughs from the studio audience and from the viewers. The, Ricky Gervais's point, I guess, that he makes is these things don't stand the test of time so much. Like catch catchphrase phrases. comedy. Yeah. yeah. Whereas his comedy has absolutely stand stood the test of time. You know, I still quote his show that was over twenty years old now. Yeah. There's no catchphrases in it. But so is that the similar similar style is that a similar thing, why that works, that
1: repetition? I think for this one, there's an extra bonus that it kind of reinforces this character I'm playing, right? That's not name dropping, but like location dropping or or like perk perks (laughs) dropping. So the more times I say it, the more I'm reinforcing how maybe pathetic I am that I'm using this side thing to, to attract ladies instead of like I don't know my personality or whatever it is. So, I think that, yeah, it has the extra bonus of that versus just someone having a funny catchphrase mm. where it's where it's reinforcing this personality that I'm, I have this thing that I use.
0: It's a it's a interesting comedic tool and this is what I want to get into more of the heart of these little comedic tools, right? That we all learn or, or get to you said you kind of realized, you didn't plan for that, did you that repetition you said? Yeah, yeah. And then this is what I love about open mics. I'm not I was going to say I'm not a prolific writer. I'm not a writer at all. I don't write jokes. i come up with things in my head and then try it out at open mic and try it again and again. And if it doesn't work, it works if it does it. But yeah, with the open mic or with testing these jokes, that's kind of how you find the funny, right? So what's your process then once you've got a concept that just presents itself to you, like the rooftop pool access? And then you're like, right, I'm going to tell this as a joke on stage. So what's your next step there?
1: Like the the writing of it, so yeah, so like I you, just I just had that experience, and yeah. Now how am I gonna write the joke? Yeah,
0: yeah. Like how do you how do you construct it into something that you're gonna then tell on stage? Because that that's what I'm saying is the big leap right between just like if you're sitting down with your friends and you're like, oh, you'll never guess what happened to me, and you you, you don't have a right. punchline, you don't have a setup, you just tell the story of what happened. I had the joke recently, you know, the one I've been telling about how I got robbed. Yeah, and in the beginning, it was literally just, and I'm still working on it, but in the beginning, I would just tell it like a story because it was such a comical farce for anyone who's not heard my joke which is probably anyone listening to this I got pickpocketed by a ladyboy and then I thought that I had found it on my track my iPhone thing but it was actually tracking my own computer that I was using at the time (laughs) but so I would tell that just as is and then it's only been in the last few weeks from kind of like all right I gotta like shorten it I've got to add some more setups and punchline like blah 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 so I've, t- yeah. I've taken that real life story, but now I'm still gradually making it work into like a real joke. So what's your process for that? Because as I said, with me, I just kind of do it in my head. I'll do it at open mic.
1: Yeah, you know, this one might be a bad example of the process because most of the time there is crafting and editing and stuff. But this one was kind of just easy. It, could, it just worked. And I, I, once I noticed the repetition thing, then I just worked on that and like, what things, where can I where can I show off that I have a rooftop pool, right? So, so Tinder, Facebook, right? Talking to people, how I say it, adding uh, repetition of it. And that, the interesting thing about this joke is that I found that women like it more. And one of the things, one of the theories I have for stand-up is like, you're always trying to get people to agree with you. Right, so whatever your premise is, if 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 it's such, if it's a on the left side of the spectrum and it's a very easy agreement, that's kind of pandering, and if it's on the the right side of the spectrum where everyone disagrees with you at the beginning, that's more difficult, and that's for the kind of like the the better comedians, and it's a tougher thing to do. So like someone like Bill Burr would have a, a premise that starts on the right side where everyone disagrees with him, and by the end of it, he gets you to agree. That makes so much
0: sense now because I've I've not really watched bill much until recently and when i watch it i'm just i'm in awe how amazing it is and i, I don't yeah. know what side he is is he left is he right he just like takes aim at everyone and, and yeah. they, all these jokes start off with one thing and you're like wait what and then by the end of it like yeah that's totally right and yeah, like, yeah how did he just do that
1: that's the agreement it's it's and he's choosing the hard one so it's maybe not it's not about left or right but it's whether most people agree with his statement or not so so yeah try to stay away from pandering that's like way too easy it's it, uh, you already got the agreement but I think it works better with women or women always tell me they like this joke I think more than men is because they agree with it more by the end like because I don't think guys think about that like a rooftop like women will like rooftop pools but women when I say that that I have a rooftop pool they're like yeah that's true I do <laughs> like rooftop pools I maybe would date this guy <laughs> just for the rooftop pool and do, so and do
0: you get So this is something I love. Do you get when you tell this joke, you just, you see the audience, right? And I I really noticed this actually when I, when I opened for you, obviously I was at the front doing my set and I felt like it was a really good set. I was watching it. could see people laughing. And then when I came off set, one of the other comedians was like, Oh, tough audience. And I was like, no, oh, no, they're not. And then I realized when I was at the back of the room, you can't see them smiling or reacting when you're at the back of the yeah, room. So yeah. I was like, oh yeah, this does look like a tough audience from here. But I was like, no, no, they're, they're, everyone's loving it if you can see them from the front. Yeah. And so one of the things I love is though when you get that agreement and you just see somebody nodding their head on nudging their partner. Yeah. And just you can just see them being like, so my favorite one recently I've been doing is how if you have a partner, your your female partner gives you the illusion of choice. And gives you two options when she already knows what option that you're going to choose. So that's my favorite one. Is that where you get these signals, like you're saying, that you you know that women like this joke more? Because you just see them in the audience just reacting. Agreeing, yeah. Yeah, that's always a good one as well. So outside of this joke, then, what would be your usual, how would you usually craft a joke?
1: Yeah, so most of the time my premises come to me just like as just before I sleep or just after a set when I'm walking. And then I'll jot it down, right, before I forget it. And once I pile up enough premises, then I'll have like a a coffee session where I'll sit down and just kind of like write without thinking too much. Just try to craft the joke. Don't be too... And then once that's done, I'll look over the joke and be like how can I add punchlines? How can I be surprising? Which lines can I do a twist? Because like I said, my first theory is get, to get agreement. The second thing is to surprise. Surprise is what gets people to laugh, right? Just because they agree that that isn't going to elicit laughter. They'll, they'll Like you said, they'll nod their head or they'll be like, oh, that's so true or <laughs> mumble to themselves or whatever. But that's not where the involuntary laugh comes in. The involuntary laugh comes in when you surprise them, right? When you lead them one way and then, yeah, you you do a turn and then they laugh. And and, and then the third part, I think, is if you do something very skillful, right? If you do an impression or you speak very fast or, or you have a talent, people will applaud, right? So if you can get all three things, agreement, a twist, and also skillful in your delivery in some manner then you would get the ultimate applause nodding the head and laughing so that's all three you so i'll i'll read it over i'll try to try to get those things and then sometimes i'll do like a a webcam test so i'll i'll do the joke to my webcam and then watch it back because you know when you watch yourself it's totally different than when you're just performing Right, you're now in the POV of the audience, and it's cringy. It's super hard to watch yourself. I don't know if you're any different than me, but most people hate watching themselves. But it's it's very good to see how the other side looks at you. And and then and the final thing I'll do is a couple days later, I'll just try to freeform say it, and then my brain, or I think most people's brains, will cut the fat. Without, without even thinking, right? Like, you'll just only remember the best punchlines and the, the most important things, and that will probably cut a quarter of your, your joke down, and which is really important to edit.
0: So first of all, I'm one of these weird people that Don't mind the sound of my own voice and can't can't watch myself. (laughs) And I think that's just from from doing it so much because I've done public speaking before. I ever did comedy and teaching and And these podcasts. Podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just so used to. I mean, definitely, I I know that feeling though. In the beginning, we're like, oh, I sound like that, but that was so long ago now. But so I was gonna ask, but I think you answered that. I was gonna ask, what do you mean by craft a joke? Because that's something that I think separates. The, the wheat from the chaff. There's a Ricky Gervais phrase right there. I'm pretty sure I heard that on the office. But that's what I think separates the good comics from the professional comics. I, I don't, I don't, uh, I put myself in the good comic bracket, not professional at all, because you're crafting those jokes. So I was going to ask, what does that mean? But then you said, what, getting that one, two, three? I think I only yeah. ever go as far as the two. Yeah. That's me. I think of the premise. And then I'm like, right, how do I have a left on here? What am I going to say that's just ridiculous yeah. or stupid that's going to make. People like like you say nod in agreement, and then suddenly they're like, "Wait, what?" Yeah, and and hopefully make them laugh. But when I do musical comedy, it's the only time I get like a real applause. Yeah, that's a
1: skill. <laughs> when right? I finish
0: the song, yeah, and that's yeah. you've made me think of it. Now I finish the song, and then I get an applause. And I'm like, "This is amazing." I don't really ever get an applause when I do a joke, like yeah. almost ever. So I need to try and incorporate that one. In. So in terms of writing, then, is that your general process that you think of the premise? the twist and then the skill
1: not when i first write it like i was saying when i first write it the first draft is just i'm just writing it without any criticism or trying to figure out and to hit these things cuz uh, yeah if it's a, a, a lot to take in if you want to try to have the perfect thing already and making sure like oh i be- i have to have the punchline i have to have like agreement and everything but yeah as i'm after i finish my draft as i'm going through i'm i'm looking well, what are the laughs per minute? Do I have enough punchlines here? Do I have enough twists? Right, and I think that's the main one uh, out of the three. I usually don't try to think too much about the skillful applause one. I'm not. I'm not writing to try to get applause, so I, I'm trying to. I'm. I'm writing to get laughs mainly. So that's the one I focus on the most. But as for agreement, I think that kind of most of the time comes naturally. Like it, it, it's almost after so many years, you, you instinctually try to. Are are always trying to convince people, you know, and and get that agreement. I don't. I think I'm verbalizing it, but most people just naturally do it mm. in their jokes. And with
0: that laughs per minute, I remember I I was just starting out, and there was a, an established comedian here. And I think he said something like aim for was it five or six laughs per
1: minute? Okay,
0: yeah. And I, I was just like gobsmacked. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> It, I did the maths in my head. I was like, that's one every 10 seconds. Are you crazy? Yeah. And I thought, it, I don't think, I I mean, maybe sometimes I hit that. It's not something I think about too often. I'm just trying to consistently get laughter. But it was something that really made me think. And it helped me cut the fat because then I started to watch these early performances, like in the first just few performances. And I'm like, I was up there for five minutes and I got two laughs. Yeah. And
1: I thought I did really well. <laughs> and then like that's that's not enough. So that really helped me. I, th- I think it, it needs to be more specific than that. Just not, not everyone should have the, the same goal of the same laughs per minute. Depends on what type of comic you are. So I think there are three types of comic with three different laugh counts. And what changes is how hard the laughs are. So someone with like that every 10 second laughs per minute, they're like a boxer that does a lot of jabs. Right. So they're, and the laughs aren't that big, but they're constantly, maybe they're one liner comics or something, or, or they do tons of punchlines, but they're not really strong laughs. And then there's the, the middle comic, maybe half the number of laughs per minute. I think I'm, I'm kind of there and the laughs are harder. Like people laugh harder. And then there's like the storytellers, you know, who have way lower laughs per minute, but the payoff should be super huge. Right. So it's like, you could have less laughs per minute, but your your laughs better be harder. The lower your laughs per minute, the harder the laughs have to be. So, yeah, it depends on what type of comics you are and what type of joke you're telling. I have some stories that I throw in, like, you know, my Jackie Tran, Chan one, which is a story. And that one has to have a big laugh. And it usually does. I end off with, like, tricking the audience to look for the imaginary girl that came with me on the trip, right? And that will often get, you know, <laughs> yeah, it will get... Got, the... You
0: got me on that one. yeah. And I think it was the second time I'd held it. I looked around and yeah. I was like, wait, what? Oh, yeah, yeah, you got me again.
1: Yeah, but because it's a story, because there's less laughs throughout that story, the payoff better be big. So laughs per minute low, but laughs hard. And it also that one also gets applause. And that one also, you know, gets people rooting for mm-hmm. me and liking me.
0: This is really good information. It just obviously got me thinking the whole time wow, as <laughs> well. That's awesome. As, as you mentioned as well, sorry, a few minutes ago, you said about intrinsically in your head you kind of cut the fat. That's definitely a, a skill I've learned over time, which is again I think is the biggest thing. Any comedian, anyone that I've ever, anybody I've ever seen ask for advice when they start starting out comedy is always just do it. Yeah, and that's the advice I give to people because it's just kind yeah. of like you just just there's no point me sitting telling you all of these different small things that i've Mm -hmm. learned which are nothing compared to someone like yourself but there's no point me sitting telling you all these things that i've learned when you've not experienced it yet and the cutting the fat was the one for me because being scottish and from the family i'm from we are going to tell you every detail of a story we're going to be like you know jean you know jean's daughter (laughs) well jean's daughter she's the one that drives the red car you know she's married to the window cleaner that window cleaner he was the one that he, worked you know, one that's going to go on like, you know, seven levels of separation before you get back to the original story. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, my comedic hero is Billy Connolly and and he can be a bit like that. And he's but he's just so, so funny. So that was in my head. I'm going to be this storyteller. Maybe I, I didn't know about laughs per minute. I maybe thought it would be. But I just thought I'll oh, just be funny. You know, yeah. just, just saying like, oh, you know, the window cleaner, <laughs> you know, I think of Billy Connolly, everything he says is funny. But then I think maybe it was at that point realizing, wait, I should be getting more laughs per minute and then watching my videos and be like, mm-hmm. you're just talking a lot of nonsense. Like you're just waffling on. Yeah. And nobody's laughing. I think people were enjoying it. You know, I would talk to my wife obviously for feedback. She'd be there and she went, like, No, people are entertained, but you know, you you want people to laugh. So that for me was a big skill till then like and I still do it when I'm coming up with a joke or when I'm saying it on stage and I'm like, How can I make this shorter? Yeah. And just as effective.
1: Well, have you ever forgotten to say lines? Well, I mean, all the time. Yeah. So then, yeah. so that's the, those are the lines you probably should cut, right? I mostly <laughs> forgot whole jokes. To be honest. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, well that's... Yeah, yeah.
0: that's maybe a bit different. But yeah. that's a good. Pe- so, is that a, is that a piece of advice as well?
1: I think it's your mind telling you that it's not important or funny. Mm. Like, why would you forget it, right? If it's like one of the the best punchlines, you 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 probably hit all the points. That's a good point. I need to remember that going forward as well. So tell us a bit more than how did you
0: get into comedy? Because, you know, from your bio, we know that you started in advertising. You wrote a Super Bowl commercial. I want to know more about that. I'm a big American football fan. But then how did you
1: change from that to becoming a full-time stand-up comedian? Well, I think all the careers I've had lend itself to comedy. And I just never knew that I could be a person that could do stand-up comedy. You know, as an introvert, as a shy person, it never was an option to me. Like, I never thought I was... This is something that I could do. So I always did things that were comedic, but never pure stand up. So I I wrote for the uni- university newspaper and I was the lifestyles editor. So I wrote these anecdotes, a weekly anecdote about like relationships, dating, and all that. So it's basically kind of like my jokes that I do, but in a newspaper. And after trying journalism for a bit, my parents didn't really want me to do that because they said that all journalists will become alcoholics. Wait, what? (laughs) Yeah, and and not make a lot of money. That's a very specific reason not to be a journalist, that they know an alcoholic (laughs) journalist. I mean, I ended up being a stand-up comic, which also are (laughs) alcoholics, so I don't know much much better, but it was a journey. I expected you to say because they wanted me to be a doctor or a lawyer uh, or a ninja. Yeah, well, they wanted me to be... (laughs) A doctor, because my dad's a doctor, and the reason not to be a journalist would be like you would become an alcoholic, become a doctor instead. And doctors aren't alcoholics, no chance. At least not on the job. Well, I <laughs> right. don't know about that either, but yeah.
0: <laughs> but sorry, continue.
1: Yeah, so I wrote funny, you know, funny stories. I, I had a column, and then uh, after that, yeah, I, I think people who are copywriters, the writers in in advertising, they think they're stand up comics too because. You know, for a print ad or a billboard, it's always a very short line and it's always a twist. And it's the same idea. It's set up punchline and it's most often comedy. And then if you do a TV commercial, all the ones that that uh, that we want produced, not the client, are funny sketches. They're basically sketches, but the client will, will choose some boring one unless it's the Super Bowl. So <laughs> I eventually realized that I like... To be funny, like, actually, I, I, I played poker professionally for a while, and I had a mockumentary about a guy who thinks he's, like, big-time stakes poker player, professional poker player, but he plays, he lives with his parents, and he lives in the basement of his house, and he plays, like, penny stakes, but he, like, takes it really seriously, and his mom's always calling him to come eat dinner, and anyways, it, it kind of went pretty big, and people, there were, like, poker sites paying me to make these videos and everything, and uh, yeah. And and people would recognize me at the casino and stuff like that. Was this a
0: YouTube channel?
1: Yeah, YouTube channel. I had stuff like like a peeing station because I can't leave the table. I would pee into the the thing. But but then yeah, so that again, that's also like comedy, right? Like so, I I eventually by the time I was finally in my early thirties, I was like, I guess, I think I like comedy. So I think I'm gonna try out stand up comedy but I was scared as hell, right? So I found out that Second City, you know, know, like, yeah, that they they have a stand-up comedy class, but I was too scared to even take the stand-up comedy class because I was thinking, what if someone heckles me? I'm not going to be able to handle it. Like, I'm going to be so scared. So I spent a year taking improv classes before I could even take the stand-up class, before I could even do stand-up. So a year of improv to take the the one like two months of stand up, then to finally have the graduation show and then to do open mics. Yeah.
0: And can I just add, I love your bit about hair clothes that you do when you kind of (laughs) say they're like, oh well, you know, you do it for the challenge. And you're like, yes, that's why that's why I do this. I want to be challenged at my job. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no. I, I specifically do that joke near near the front of my set always. Because it's an anti heckling yeah, joke. Yeah, just disarms them, right? Yeah, because yeah, yeah, who's gonna? I just I just dissed anyone who heckles, right? And, and and also I made myself lower status, and I was basically like, I can't handle heckles. So anyone that heckles, not only did I just point them as assholes, but that they would hurt me. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm a nice guy, so yeah. the audience would be against them too. So that's why, like, I never that's get heckled.
0: Yeah, because yeah, that person, if they did heckle, and I'll ask if you ha- if that has happened. He would just be an asshole. Yeah. Like, you've got the whole audience on your side. Like, look at it. So has the, anyone actually heckled you after hearing that?
1: After I crafted that joke, I have never been heckled. Wow, genius. Yeah.
0: I'm, I'm very lucky. We're lucky here in Saigon. I've only really performed in Saigon. We don't really have hecklers. I've heard of it once or twice. Yeah. And it's just normally someone who's wasted. Yeah. I've had a couple of times where maybe someone's been a bit drunk, but generally they've been someone I know. Yeah. Like my friend. (laughs) And then there was one time we had a show earlier this year where everybody was talking during my set. And I tried a bit of crowd work, tried to get them to be quiet. And everyone just kept talking. Yeah. And I fucking unleashed on them. I was like, shut the fuck up. Wow. I knew them all. That was fun. Oh, okay. Okay. I was (laughs) was going to say that would. Yeah, it was like the two people in the front row, I knew them by name. The people behind was a girl that worked with me. The other one was the fiancé of another comedian with their friend. So yeah. yeah, like it's quite funny. I put, I was actually recording it, so I put it on Instagram and I got like thousands of views. And uh, actually, the woman who was in the video, she was right in the front. She asked me, could I take it down? Because <laughs> she's like, I look really bad. And oh, she's yeah, like, it wasn't okay. my fault, you know? <laughs> and I, I took it down and I was like, yeah, it's fine. But if you didn't know, I knew all the people. It then, looked like I would like lost yeah. it, like the but yeah, I, it was funny because literally half the audience I knew by first name basis, and the people who were specifically talking, I knew on first term, on, yeah. on good terms. But so I'm uh, uh, quite lucky here in Saigon, not really had many hecklers. It doesn't seem to happen. Audiences are really respectful. I've heard that overseas it's getting worse. H- have you noticed
1: that? Not in Canada. No. Canada's pretty yeah. good. Canada. too nice Yeah, I, I heard. I heard the UK is, yeah. is a little bit more challenging. They they challenge you a lot. I think in the UK,
0: because everyone thinks they're a comic, but, and we do have a lot of funny people in the UK. I think it, they're probably, everyone comes to a comedy show, like, I'm going to show yeah. this com- comedian how funny I am. I could imagine hecklers in Canada just every time they heckled, then just being like, sorry. <laughs> I know that's such a lame joke. That's such an easy one. But I mean, you can't help. It's the only thing anyone's got against Canadians is they say, sorry. Yeah. Well, that leads me actually on to the last thing we'll quickly talk about is I (laughs) here's a funny story for anyone listening. So uh, I really enjoy the show, Kim's Convenience. I watched, I was up to about the second season, just assumed it was set in America. And then at one point I heard one of the main characters go, oh, sorry. And I was like, hold on a minute, is this in Canada? And I Googled it and it was. So first night I ever met Joe, opening for him after the show, we're hanging about talking and I'm like, oh, you know that show Kim's Convenience? And Joe looks at me and he went, yeah, I wrote for it. <laughs> yeah, I wanted the ground to swallow me up. I was like, "Oh, yeah, I did know that." Kind of. Tell me more. <laughs> so tell us more about how you ended up on Kim's convenience.
1: Well, it was a it 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 is or was a predominantly Caucasian filled room. So there was criticism that they weren't giving opportunity to other 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 writers. So they did a I like got global call anyone can apply come to do this kind of a two-week intensive kind of thing and they would you would get to write you would be part of the team and like yeah a lot of people applied I, I guess I got lucky so they try to choose very democratically so they, they I was like the stand-up that they chose they, they found someone who was like an improviser they found someone who was a playwright and they just tr- tried to get As many different categories, as many different races, both sexes evenly as they could. And I did two weeks there. It was amazing. I got to figure out what the experience... One of my favorite shows, Canadian shows ever, you know? So it was a huge deal. After I did that two weeks, they actually invited a bunch of us to come back to join the writer's room and then to, to write for other seasons and stuff. So came back. A lot more pressure now, just because like... The first room was just everyone was newcomers, right? And we were all in it together and experiencing the same thing and had very little experience. felt comfortable speaking up, but then the 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 following rounds was like you're in the room with like people who have been in writers' rooms for fifteen twenty years, all their whole life, right? So again, the the natural shyness and introversion took over, and it was it, I was a lot more scared and quiet so but I think I did just good enough that they invited me to do this one other thing for to have a spin-off I don't know if you know it strays but I also did that for like a week and that was really fun too
0: that's awesome and do you have any plans in the future to join any more writer's room or do any more comedy writing I mean you obviously have a knack for it with your YouTube channel
1: yeah well you know what now that I've done stand-up and I've done writer's room I just love i've I realized I love doing the stand up a lot more. I think it's harder to make good money as a stand up but I don't know I just i it's it's not completely about the money for me. it's what I lo- enjoy doing and the the interesting thing you told me before was the best way to make money is through digital radio, yeah oh satellite radio
0: satellite radio, sorry, which I didn't even know existed anymore,
1: yeah, so most of the income i'd say for canadian com- comedians comes from the royalties we get every time they play our our jokes and is that often it's it's often enough that it's more than everything else unless you <laughs> unless you're doing like corporate shows a lot a ton of corporate shows or like cruises cuz i i know some comics that do the cruise circuit and they make a lot of money that yeah. way but it's a grind
0: yeah i know i don't know if you know the canadian comedian not that you all know each other you know lars callio yeah. And he's been over here before and and we've kept in touch and I remember he talked about the cruise circuit and yeah how yeah. it was real real difficult and my favorite story was that he was doing like the Madonnae show at like three in the afternoon and there was just like yeah. a kid just running wild and eventually he had to kind of stop and say to the parents, like, Can you can you like yeah. st- stop your kid? And they were just like, No, he's fine. Just let him enjoy himself and they were just sitting there eating their food and
1: Yeah, we we both know stand-up comedy is optimal environment yeah, right yeah. it needs to be dark people need to be drinking it needs to be late you know they, they had to be there specifically to come yeah. to comedy and then you still might fail so <laughs> at a cruise at three in the yeah. afternoon with kids running and you can't do your 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 regular set you got to do a clean set yeah yeah that's right as well yeah because so. the afternoon yeah it's just a setup for failure
0: no. i stupidly agreed to do just 10 minutes at a festival like a, a July Fourth festival. Yeah. yeah. I I don't know if you met him or did he leave before you got here, Leo Nguyen? Did you cross paths at all? No. He was Vietnamese American, he was over from America. I anyway, he was hosting and I was there drinking. And he's like, you want to do 10 minutes? And I was like, yeah, sure. Stupidest idea ever. I mean, it was just, there must have been about 100 odd people there. I think two were listening. It was an afternoon show somewhere? Like early evening by the time yeah. I got on. Nobody was there for the comedy. There was like wing eating competition and, like like yeah. shotgun. But the That's thing is, I, I, I knew that already. Like I didn't go in thinking like. That you would kill. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so like the two people who were listening seemed to really enjoy it. And I made them laugh. But I just went up with the, like, right, I'm going to, like, get everyone to listen. And I was like, right, everyone, come listen. Like I'm, nobody was listening. No one there. cared. Yeah, nobody cared. So I, I think yeah. I was going to do, like, 10, 15. I think I did it seven minutes. And I was like, I can't do any more of this. This is too yeah. painful.
1: It hurt. But you need those, too, to... To gross thicker skin exactly yeah and i think i got some
0: freebies so that's <laughs> all good well joe thank you very much this has been amazing tell people quickly where they can find you on social media if you want them to and what's next for you in comedy
1: pretty much joe vu comedy on all the platforms i try to keep it consistent and next for me is well i'm in vietnam just experiencing life here and trying to get inspired to work on my next album awesome
0: well I'm we'll you know when it's it.
1: going to be joe man maybe end of the
0: next year End of next year. This yeah. this year is twenty twenty two. Just in case somebody's listening in like five years' time and they're It'll like, be Wait, like, is it coming out soon? What's happening? Yeah, it is he dad? What happened? <laughs> Don't say that. Don't <laughs> say that. All right, Joe, thank you so so much. And I look forward to performing
1: with you again soon. Yeah, for sure. Me too. It'll Cheers. Be fun. Thanks.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Did That Really Happen? A new podcast from seven million bikes. I've been your host, Neil McKay. If you enjoyed that and want to hear from comedians around the world about their jokes and if they are true, then make sure to follow and subscribe from wherever you are listening from right now and follow 7 Million Bikes on social media. The links are in the show notes. Cheers. And I also know that my information and data are safe from prying eyes, whoever they may be. Join now and you'll get 68% off and three months free when you go to my link, nordvpn.com forward SMB. Just again, for those hard of hearing, nordvpn.com forward SMB. The link is also in the show notes. I know nobody checks them out, but go check that out and you can get the link